this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly non-fiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton, recording today's podcast on Thursday, May 24th. Uh, hello, Alice. How are you today? Uh, I am great, Kim. How are you doing? I am doing pretty good. It's, um, it's, so it's 90 degrees here today, um, which is insane because I feel like a month ago we were in the middle of a blizzard. I think it's actually literally one month ago uh, there was a blizzard here. Uh, <laughs> no, not it wasn't literally. It was six weeks ago. Uh, anyway, so it's 90 degrees and thunderstorming. So it's it's a little – my brain's just a little little weird right now, I think. That's the weather crazy. is screwing with me. I mean, we're both kind of like, you know, we're both in the Midwest and uh, yeah, we tend to, I don't know about Minnesota. We don't, in Chicago, we don't really have spring or fall. We have like two days. Um, So yeah, we just jumped right from like something like 50 degrees to not even 50, I think it was colder to like 85 today. Um, Yeah. So that was fun. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's super weird. And yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend and it's going to be 90 degrees uh, where we're going. So Anyway, that'll be that'll be good and strange. Um, how are the books that you have been reading? Do you have any follow up for this week? Um, okay, well, I do sort of. One of them is going to be held until <laughs> the end of the thing, and that one I'm I'm positive about. I still haven't finished this damn book about uh, the escape of Charles II <laughs> after the Battle of Worcester, and by haven't finished, I mean I haven't picked it up since our last episode, which was two weeks ago. Um, so. It's just, and again, it's 188 pages. I forget what it was now because I haven't looked at it in so long. <laughs> but it's just so insanely boring and it's hard to motivate myself. Although, to be fair, I also, I'm in the middle of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, also a very short, short book that I have been reading for over a week. And The Return of the Soldier, speaking of Memorial Day, by uh, Rebecca West, which is also something like hundred and. 50 pages and I I just haven't I just haven't been able to finish things you know like can you get into that kind of a a slumpy slump Mm -hmm. yeah yep yeah I definitely have been there um yeah I uh I did finish Damnation Island by Stacey Horn which I think we mentioned in new books last week um and I um I really liked it I thought it was really good um although it is as you might expect for a book about like an island of insane asylums and prisons and poor houses. It was extremely depressing in parts. Um, But what I liked about it was it wasn't just a history of that island. She sort of used the island and the different buildings on it as um, ways in to tell other stories about things that were going on in New York at the time these institutions were built. Um, So there's a whole chapter, uh, I think, connected to the the hospital talking about... um, the outbreak of syphilis and why that was a big deal. But then also um, the way that uh, crime, women's committing of crimes was treated differently than men, um, which was an interesting chapter. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it, um, despite the kind of grim topic. 
she kind of started then because I haven't finished it. Um, she starts with with the whole like just general overview of the island and then gets into mm-hmm. like connects that with greater issues. That's cool. I like kind of like broad overviews while then like delving specifically into certain things. Yeah, and there's some interesting stories. There's some stories about Rikers, which is the prison in New York, and how that was connected to the prison on Blackwell Island. Um, so yeah, just some interesting, good kind of narrative history stories tied in with a particular history of this place. So yeah, good stuff. Um, you said last I, real quick question. You said mm-hmm. uh, last week that Stacey Horn, you knew her from other stuff. What what was her previous stuff again that she'd written? Gosh, I cannot remember titles because I'm, t- I'm terrible at titles. But one of them was a memoir about her time singing in an adult recreational choir. Oh, that was it. Uh, and one, yeah, <laughs> um, I think it's, gosh, I'm going to like. I don't need to know titles. I was just mainly, I was like, I remember that it seemed super bonkers off the wall compared to this Damnation Island. Like, yeah, it's very, huh. it's very different. That's fantastic. Okay. Ah, it's called Imperfect Harmony, Finding Happiness, Singing with Others, and it was published in 2013. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Um, So before we jump in, we're going to do our first sponsor, which I'm excited about because it is a book I have previously read, and so I can announce it as a sponsor and also tell you that it's really good from my personal knowledge. And that book is called American Fire by Monica Hesse. And the title is American Fire, Love, Arson, and Life in a Vanishing Land. Um, and so the summary or synopsis is uh, the arson started on a cold November evening and didn't stop for months. Night after night, the people of desolate Acoma County, Acomic County waited to see which abandoned building would burn down next, regarding each other at first with compassion and later with suspicion. Monica Hesse, the author, spent years investigating the story, emerging with a breathtaking portrait of the arsonists and their community. American Fire captures a rural county in flames gutted long before the fires began. Um, and yeah, it's a really, it's well... Uh, well regarded by a bunch of different places. It was named a best book of the year by the New York Times, by NPR, Amazon, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, Bustle and Nylon, Thrillist, America. So it's now uh, available in paperback. So that is good because I much prefer books when they come out in paperback because that's what I like to read. Um, so yeah, American Fire, very, very good, very good, interesting journalistic nonfiction. And we thank them for sponsoring us this week. We do indeed. Don't you feel like arsonists are like, it's like there's something particular obviously going on there in the old brain uh which i would be yeah well this one sorry go on i was gonna say this one is interesting um who they figure out the arsonist is and then what the mo i don't want to i want to talk about it but i don't want to spoil it so maybe i just won't say anything at all that it's just really interesting like what the motivation for the crime ends up being and kind of the situation that this community found themselves in so you're saying we should all read american fire Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Nice job, Alice. Awesome. All right. And with that very smooth transition, we're going to get into new books for this week. Uh, and I'm going to go first because the first one I'm, I'm super excited about and I want to talk about it. Um, the book is called So Close to Being S, Y'all Don't Even Know by Retta, who uh, is, I know best from her uh role in Parks and Recreation, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And she was such a great character on there as Donna. Um, 
And so this is a kind of a memoir essay collection about her life. So um, she, the, she abandoned as a, a young woman, abandoned her, abandoned her plans to attend medical school after graduating from Duke University and instead decided to move to Hollywood to star in her own sitcom uh, following after her comedy heroes like Lucille Ball and Roseanne. Um, and so this book is about kind of that experience, her um success and some of her challenges and her time on Parks Duration and all of that. Um, and the reason I am excited about it is because I I just, I love these types of collections by famous, funny women. Um, and I especially like them on audiobook because they're just really satisfying to listen to during car rides. Because, um, you know, like chapters are pretty short and so you can get through one kind of, my commute's not very long. So, you know, like there and back um, you can listen to one of these essays and it's like hanging out with somebody who's fun and cool in your car, keeping you company. Um, so a couple, a couple of falls ago, I listened to a bunch of memoirs by comedians in a row. Um, and so this one just fits right in with that. And it's one of my kind of favorite go-to audiobook genres. So I think this is one I will be listening to really soon. Uh, it's called So Close to Being the Shit Y'all Don't Even Know. And I probably shouldn't have said the S word That's, in our podcast, it's but probably fine. I'm sorry. We do apologize. It's asterisk. <laughs> it's asterisked out in the title, and I didn't know how to say it. So. <laughs> There we are. Uh, that's my first new book. I think for clarity's sake, that's fine. Not to turn this, by the way, into like a Parks and Rec quote fest, but um, while when you mentioned her time on Parks and Rec, I immediately flashed to, they were talking about how you couldn't say that like your favorite cereal is breakfast cereal. And then Donna is like, I love breakfast cereal. <laughs> and it was just, um, <laughs> I don't know why that particularly strikes me as funny, but um, yeah, she read his turn as Donna. Like what she made of that character is so, so good. good. And obviously she is half of Treat Yourself, which has become just a uh, an international yes. phenomenon, let's say. Yes. Okay. That's, so uh, she's got a memoir. It's out. You should read it or listen to it. Um. So on it in a, pretty complete departure from that uh my <laughs> first pick is um i'm actually not sure if it's barracoon or barracoon um but let's say barracoon uh it is by zora neale hurston who you might say uh i don't believe she's writing anymore that's true this is nonetheless a new release it came out in may um from harper collins so uh their description is in 1927 Zora Neale Hurston went to Plateau, Alabama, just outside Mobile, to interview 86-year-old Kajo Lewis of the millions of men, women, and children transported from Africa to America as slaves. Kajo was then the only person alive to tell the story of this integral part of the nation's history. Hurston was there to record Kajo's firsthand account of the raid that led to his capture and bondage 50 years after the Atlantic slave trade was outlawed in the United States. So... Basically, this hadn't been, I don't think it had ever been published, right? Wasn't that like the whole hubbub around it? Um, I think so, yeah. And I, I read, uh, so Alice Walker does the forward. And yeah, it's previously unpublished. So she does the forward and it's basically saying that it's it's diffi- it was difficult, especially at the time. She wrote it again in, in the 1920s and 30s. Um, it was difficult at the time to read because it does, it involves um, Kudjo's, uh abduction from Africa and involves some other Africans treating him poorly. So, you know, especially in this uh, time of the 1930s, you don't want to read that because everything is already so difficult in, a, in America. You don't want to feel like, you know, like the, the 
I guess the international black community is contributing at all to that. So I think that Mm -hmm. that played a large part in it not being published, um, in addition to the fact that it was the 1930s and racism. So um, Zora Neale Hurston Mm -hmm. just I was I was flipping through it and like when you're reading it, she puts you there. Like she's, she's describing her conversation with this man and you can see it so clearly because she's such an amazing writer. Um, I read their eyes were watching God, uh, late in, I think it was only like five years ago that I read it for the first time. Um, and it's just, she's, she's one of our greatest American writers in my opinion. So I'm having this, this new nonfiction piece from her. Um, I feel like we're very lucky. So again, that's Barracoon, the story of the last black cargo by Zora Neale Hurston. Um, and it's already out from HarperCollins. Interesting. Is there anything in the intro or that you heard about why they decided to publish it finally now or um, just because it's there? Um, I don't think that Alice Walker covers that. I could be totally wrong. I'm just like scanning there their thing now no i think it's just that now it was uh you know it was kind of one of those like rediscovered things and then they're like okay now now is yeah culturally definitely a good time to be bringing this forward yes um and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful book they they did a great job with the um the design cool good pick i'm glad you mentioned that one um the next book that I want to mention or I want to talk about is called uh, Great American Outpost by Maya Rao. And this one came out uh, in late April from uh, Public Affairs, but we didn't, I think, mention it on a previous podcast. So I wanted to mention it now because I actually just bought it from the bookstore last week because I was excited about it. Um, and the book is a piece of narrative nonfiction all about the oil boom in western North Dakota. Um, and so Maya Rao is a journalist who's based in the Twin Cities. And so over the course of uh, kind of repite reporting this book. She spent a lot of time living up in um, Western North Dakota and Williston, I think, um, where the big fracking um, oil thing is happening. Um, And so she joined a bunch of people who are going there. Um, There's been a lot of comparisons to this oil boom as very like the gold rush uh, in terms of just people who are feel like they don't have opportunities going to a place where they could potentially have an opportunity, although fracking and oil um, extraction are definitely very different than gold extraction. But um, so she spent a lot of time there reporting on the people who were there, the corporations that were operating there, some of the um, kind of lawlessness of the whole place. Um, One of the early chapters that I've finished talks about how one of the things that I remember being a big issue there is housing. Like there's just not enough houses for the, all of the people who are moving to that area at the peak of the uh, oil boom. And so, and there's no like housing ordinances or laws about what you can and can't build because these were such remote rural places that they had never needed to have building codes before really. Um, So just talking about that and what it means for a kind of impoverished and forgotten and remote, incredibly remote place to suddenly have this boom of people through um, economic development, through this oil boom, and then what the, you know, long-term consequences on the community and the environment and all of that are. Um, So yeah, it's a really in-depth, well-reported book. Um, I think I'm about three chapters in right now and it's, um, her writing's really good. I really am enjoying it. Um, Kind of a fish out of water, but also just giving the people she's interviewing a lot of space to talk and tell their own stories, um, which is kind of why you read a book like this is 
the journalist experience is interesting, but sometimes you just want to hear from the people who are there and what is happening. And so she really has done a good job so far of just letting them speak, um, which I have appreciated. So uh, the book is called Great American Outpost by Maya Rao, and it came out in late April from Public Affairs. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Yay. Um, let's see. Oh, right. My pick is next. Um, sorry, <laughs> sorry slightly. <laughs> I was just thinking about like, oh yeah, the oil and gold and all this stuff. Um, so my my pick is uh my friend actually told me about this and uh it's out May 29th from Harper Wave. Uh it is called Like a Mother. A Feminist Journey Through the Science and Culture of Pregnancy by Angela Garbus. Um, I, I know I just did a motherhood book. I don't have any children, um, but I, uh, I, I think it's, I, I don't know, it's fascinating, obviously. Uh, it's it's a, a part of our culture that I think we're, we're talking about even more. Um, I know previously I talked about And Now We Have Everything by Megan O'Connell. That is a much more... Um, you know, like this was her story and this was her experience with pregnancy. Yeah. Angela Garbus, um, so she is a she is a writer. Obviously, she's a writer, she wrote a book, but she's like she was she wrote she's a <laughs> journalist. Um, she wrote for uh Seattle, I believe, newspaper, and she found out she was pregnant um after going out with her husband and um getting drunk the night before. So she got a little panicky. And um, because you know, we we have these all these sort of like re- all this received wisdom in our culture about like what you do and don't do when you're pregnant. Um, and she started looking into mm-hmm. it. She talked to her doctor and she found out that um, a lot of it is uh, we don't have science to back it up, like all of these thoughts. And, you know, people are very hungry for this information. She ended up writing an article about what basically what breast milk is, which when I read that she said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't huh. actually know. <laughs> like what's in it and like what it does for the so um this article uh because a lot of other people apparently also didn't know this article went viral and i think that the book kind of spawned from that Mm -hmm. um so this as opposed to the the megan mcconnell book or o'connell sorry it's um like a mother is very much sort of essay based and factual like she does a lot of research on the history of you know like these like sort of again received wisdom about pregnancy and what things actually are and you know like what uh how the body works and all this stuff um it's really readable uh i'm i'm very much enjoying it uh it's it's one of my favorite picks from this week's episode uh she has a chapter 3 is called an organ is two-faced as time um <laughs> which I just enjoy. Uh yeah, it's again, so I think that uh if you're really into sort of like finding out why things are the way they are or what the actual story is behind this, especially something again as integral to uh our uh, species as um <laughs> uh pregnancy, then I would recommend this uh Like a Mother, a feminist journey through the science and culture of pregnancy by Angela Garbus out by Harper Wave on May 29th. Yeah, the cover of that one is really cool too. Um, right? Didn't you post that on Instagram? I did. I did. Yeah. I was very. Uh, that's that's why I posted it because I was like, "Oh, this is pretty." Yeah, it's a really really striking cover for sure. I really liked it. Striking is a striking is a better word for it. <laughs> Please. Uh, oh crap! I forgot. I have two. One you do have two. I'm picking it up. From, yes, and I have. I just had a quick other mention, which is um, on June fifth. Uh, Feminist Freedom Warriors comes out. And let me tell you real quick about that. That is 
Genealogies, Justice, Politics, and Hope, edited by Chandra Mahanti and Linda Cardi. So what this is, it's like a pretty quick read, um, but it is conversations with women of color about their feminist activism from around the world. So if that is your jam, this is like amazing for that. It features interviews with activists from movements spanning the last seven decades in the U.S., India, Mexico, Palestine, Nigeria, and South Africa. Um, It includes a conversation with Angela Davis, um, where she talks about how when she was first publishing her her work people were calling her a feminist and she was like no i'm a communist <laughs> like she was very like no this is like this is not the right message you're taking from it and then she said like her interactions with bell hooks and and other women of her era um kind of uh gave her more information mm-hmm. right and like she learned from them and it's sort of like everyone talking about different aspects of their journey through feminism so um i wanted to to mention it for sure so again it's feminist freedom warriors uh, by Chandra Mahanti and Linda Cardi out June 5th from Haymarket Books. Excellent. That sounds like a really good one, too. I'm glad you mentioned that one. Um, cool. So that is what we were doing for new books this week. Um, so we're going to jump into our weekly theme, which is a segment where we talk about books related to some topical uh day or event or something. Um, And so this week, we thought we would talk about books connected to Memorial Day, since this podcast will be coming out uh, the Tuesday after Memorial Day weekend. Um, And I always, I feel like such a bad person that I always have to look up and check the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day, because they are different holidays recognizing different things. Um, But I never quite remember what the difference is. And so Memorial Day is a holiday in the United States that's designed for remembering the people who died while serving in the armed forces. So Veterans Day recognizes all veterans, uh, you know, uh, all across all types of service. But Memorial Day is specifically for those people we've lost. So um, yeah, do you, I, I guess before we jump in, do you ever have like typical Memorial Day plans? Like I usually go to my family's cabin, but when I was a journalist, I usually covered also the Memorial Day Um programs and events in the small town I was in, which was always a really um, sad and nice day. Like it's a very, there's a lovely ceremony and hearing from people and seeing things. Um, So I always appreciated the chance to do that when I was working in news. Gosh, um, that's a really good question and makes me slightly uh, ashamed of my uh, history with Memorial Day. My That was never really, we had no one in my family uh, who has fought in a war since I think my great-grandfather fought in Franz Josef's army in like 1910. Hmm. Uh, aside from yeah. that. No one. Um, so we just that it was never yeah. emphasized. And I do feel like in our culture, right, it's kind of like it's a day off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hooray. Um. I'm glad that we're doing this topic, if only because, uh, although my, a spoiler, my books were chosen by a friend of mine, but um, I think that at the very least, I'm number one, interested in hearing your picks. Um, And number two, thank you for sharing that difference because I did not know the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Yeah, I always have to look it up because I, I always remember there's a difference, but it never, I don't I don't always know the specifics. So uh, yeah, so I'm going to go first uh, with my first pick. And this is a book that came out in 2013. It's called Thank You for Your Service by David Finkel. Um, and this is probably one of the best books on veterans that I think that I have ever read. It is, it is so great. Um, and so David Finkel is a journalist. I feel like I say that with like every book that I'm like, there started as a journalist, but 
he is. Um, and so he wrote a previous book about embedding with soldiers on the front lines of Baghdad during the surge in uh, Iraq in 2007. Um, and so that book was very much about warriors in combat and what was happening there. Um, and this book, Thank You for Your Service, embeds with some of the men from the same unit, um, but it's what happens to them when they come home. So instead of what happens to them in combat, it shows what happens, what life after war is like for these people. Um, and they have lost col- lost comrades. They have, um, many of them are suffering from PTSD or other kind of traumatic um, mental health issues. Um, uh, many of them are injured in pretty significant ways. And so it's about just what it is like to come home from that and what it is like to try and kind of continue your life after an experience like that one. Um, but part of the, the thing that... I really loved about this book is that it's not just focused on the soldiers, but it also focuses on all of the people who um, are also affected. So their their wives, their families, uh, the widows of some of the soldiers who died, uh, their children, the medical professionals who are tasked with trying to help them, um, the veterans officers and psychologists and counselors who are trying to help them. Um, and just really shows how the decision to send people into combat there's so much more we should be doing when they come home that we're just kind of not. And there are a lot of things that they need. Um, and there are a lot of sacrifices that people who are not serving overseas make um, in service of some of these um, in some in war and some of those things. Um, it's just it's very, um, it's just a very honest look at what these things are. He doesn't, um, doesn't over-dramatize, but he's very kind of clear and can say, clear about what their experiences were like and what their experiences are when they come home um, and just very thoughtful about it and very honest. So, um, yeah, it's just a really, really incredible book. Um, and it was made into a movie in 2017, which I haven't seen um, because I, I don't know, I just, I like the book so much. I almost didn't want to see what they might do with it in a movie, which would kind of condense a lot of these really compelling and interesting stories. Um, yeah. So the book is Thank You for Your Service by David Finkel. I was going to say that title sounded familiar and not just because it's what we say to soldiers. Oh, but yeah, movie. Okay. I definitely remember seeing a trailer for that. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, I think like Miles Teller is in it. Um, but I can't remember anything else about it. Huh. Um, so both of my picks were chosen by my friend, Julie, who has a PhD in, I am so sorry, Julie, we've been friends almost 10 years. Uh, something to do with women's history in Britain in the armed forces. <laughs> uh, it's fine. I, yeah. Anyway. Um, so I asked her, I was like, I don't read, I don't read books about the war. Um, I mm-hmm. like any war. Why I say the war, I mean war as a topic. Uh, unless sometimes if it's like it took place in the 15th century, but then I usually am like, who were the women who were staying at home during that time? Um, so mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't read books about war, but that being said, I do want to do another little sneak in book. Cause while you were mentioning, um, thank you for your service. I remembered going to see Rachel Maddow talk a number of years ago. I guess it would have been in 2013. Um, She wrote a book called Drift, the Unmooring of American Military Power, where she talked, um, first of all, she feels very passionately about um, veterans not getting the care that they need. Like that is a, that is a passion issue for her. Um, But in Drift, she talks Mm -hmm. about how our military is going much more towards contractors and why that's a problem. Um, Interesting. It's a really good book, um, and her talk was fascinating. But anyway, uh, back to Julie's picks for this week. So they are 
Um, <laughs> number one, first of all, Julie is hilarious and also very, very smart. So I believe that these picks are great. Um, Mum's Army by Winifred Phillips. Uh, so she said this is a memoir by the first woman to become a Chelsea pensioner. I didn't know what that was, but she told me the Royal Hospital Chelsea was established in the 17th century as a kind of old soldier's home and is essentially a kind of very exclusive veterans home now. So this book by Winifred Phillips is unusual because she served in the British Army in the 1950s and 60s. So there are very few memoirs of uh, service in that time period. So this is. um mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know anything else about it, but Mum's Army by Winifred Phillips. I looked it up in terms of the cover and the cover is great. So I feel like (laughs) we should definitely uh, all take a look at that one. Excellent. Well, uh, my second pick is another book about women uh, in combat. So, you know, that's a very uh, good segue. Uh, And the book is called Ashley's War by Gail Tesmich Lemon. Um, And it is another like just really, really incredible book. Um, so it is about a United States Army program that started in, I think it said 2010. Um, and this program would allow women to serve alongside special operations soldiers in, in, in Afghanistan. Um, and so at that time, women were not allowed to participate in combat. What, what they discovered is that they really needed women in Afghanistan to try and help interact with um the Afghani women and the tribal women that these soldiers were coming in contact with um, during raids and during kind of investigation. So not when they were like actively, you know, in battle necessarily, but when they were going into communities and trying to get information about the Taliban and the people that they were trying to figure out. And the male soldiers just could not interact with these women for cultural and language reasons cultural reasons primarily, like they weren't allowed to. Um, And so they realized that they needed women to be there with them to try and, you know, protect these women, but also interact with them and gain information. So the Army started this program where they created cultural support teams. And these female teams would go out with special force, special operation shoulders into the field and then connect with women in insurgent compounds. Um, And so Ashley's War is the story of one of the first uh, cultural support team units. So it follows from them being recruited to even try and participate this program, to uh, the the testing to see if they could even do it, to their training. And then their first experiences in combat. And like these women had to do, this isn't like a a lightened version at all. Like they did everything that special operations shoulders did. Uh, They just like don't get the credit for it in the same way. Um, And like it's, it's just incredible, like the work that they did and like the listening or reading about them and their experiences and what it means to them to be able to kind of complete this very difficult training and recruitment program. And then, um, I guess without, I don't know if it's a spoiler since it's a true story, but um, something goes wrong in one of their um, combat and they lose one of their members. And so it's also a really heartbreaking book to like to have gotten to know these women and then to know that one of them is killed and what it what it means for this program to have women go into combat in a really dangerous situation. How, how difficult that was for the army, how complicated it was to try and do it, even though. I don't really know that it should have been, but it was. Um, and then to have one of them die, um, kind of what that's about too. So uh, I just thought it was really, really fascinating. Um, and I didn't, I hadn't read much. I don't read a ton of books about war, but I, I don't remember before this one reading any about women specifically in combat. So I think that this is a pretty small niche of things that are happening and also books that are being written. Um, so Ashley's War by Gail Tesmich Lemon. It sounds really good. 
Um, speaking as someone who doesn't read books about war, uh, I would read that. That sounds sounds great. Um, so, so this other suggestion of Julie's, I have actually looked up a little more. Um, and it sounds really awesome. She said that it's one that she recommends a lot to people, and this is again, this is like what she researched for her PhD. Um, so she's read a lot about these things, but she said this was uh, one of her most oft recommended. So it is called A Life in Secrets, Vera Atkins and the Missing Agents of World War II by Sarah Helm. Um, So Sarah Helm is an award-winning journalist, and she tells the cloak and dagger tale of Vera Atkins, who was one of Britain's premier secret agents during World War II. Um, So essentially what she did was she recruited, trained, and mentored special operatives whose job was to organize and arm the resistance in Nazi-occupied France, which already I'm like, oh my gosh, right? And then Mm -hmm. after the war, what the book is actually about, because it says, right, the missing agents of World War II, she committed herself to a search for 12 of her women spies who had gone missing in in action. So um, apparently it's like she uses these previously unavailable sources, uh, which is why she's an award-winning journalist, and uh, just goes through, you know, kind of like the chaos of of post-war Europe. So again, I know it's not American, but um, it's it's women in combat who served, and it's, I think that uh, this book sounds extra fascinating so again that's a life in secrets by sarah helm yeah that sounds really great up your alley actually like even though it's a war book and maybe you don't read that yeah um yeah that one sounds super good uh i was looking it up on my phone while you were talking and i almost did the one click on amazon to buy it but i i resisted <laughs> i don't need to buy more books than immediately but yeah that's definitely a good one um yeah, so those are some Memorial Day adjacent picks for a day late, I guess. But hopefully people are still in the mood and might be interested in picking some of those up. So uh, we're going to then jump into our next segment. And we decided this week to bring back one we've done previously, um, fiction, nonfiction, which is pairing uh, fiction books that are we've recently read or are popular or well-known, um, and then suggesting some nonfiction that one might read uh, to eliminate or illuminate or uh, expand on that book. So uh, I'm going to let you go first because uh, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Oh, okay, great. So my uh, my pick is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley as the fiction <laughs> because it is the 200th anniversary. Um, I am also technically co-hosting, although I dropped the ball a little, on a read-along called uh, hashtag Tra-La Frankenstein, which was a Frankenstein read-along for May. So when this comes out, I believe the read-along will be over. But um, that was using the annotated Frankenstein that Live Right came out with, and it's an awesome edition. You guys should check it out. But that is not the nonfiction pairing that I have for Frankenstein. The nonfiction pairing I have is Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Her Daughter, Mary Shelley by Charlotte Gordon. Um, this came out in 2015. I have picked it up at the bookstore so many times and then done what you just were talking about where I'm like, I have too many books. But um, <laughs> it's... It's like it's a really cool. It's got like this like hot pink cover. Well, not all, but like writing on it is hot pink. And then it's it's a dual biography of Mary Wollstonecraft and her daughter. Who is Mary Wollstonecraft? You ask. Well, so Mary Wollstonecraft was this English intellectual uh, radical who wrote in 1792, "Vindication of the Rights of Woman," which was right like what is generally known as one of the very first feminist texts, um, especially like you know for uh, if we're talking about like kind of the modern world, so like 18th century um, in this case obviously so she died 
giving birth to Mary Shelley, writer of Frankenstein, um, which already, right? Like that's a lot of pressure when you're like, oh, my birth caused the death of this, you know, luminary of <laughs> the classical mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I better do something great. And she did. Um, so it talks about Mary Wollstonecraft's um, her her very again like extraordinary life uh which is in the title extraordinary life anyway um it talks about her life and her relationship <laughs> with william godwin who is um mary shelley's father uh and just like all i don't know it just goes in, into her i don't know her as well as i know things about mary shelley who of course um was originally um mary godwin and then she married uh percy bish shelley the poet who died in a mm-hmm. tragic boating accident which is weird right like when you hear like oh yeah he was in he was in like wasn't he like on a lake or something and then he drowned um it's just strange i don't they remember have, they had odd lives again frankenstein was written in like a castle that she was in with lord byron yep yeah it's that i know byron, all, that guy that guy yeah i keep bringing him up on this podcast but <laughs> Like they were because I think, I think she was 18 when she wrote it. Like it's a lot of stuff where yeah. you're just like, mm-hmm. this is bananas that she was this brilliant. But I think giving the background and that's why it had to be a dual biography, right? Giving the background of her mom mm-hmm. and kind of the circle in which she then would have grown up because she was, you know, her father was still alive. Um, And then and then her subsequent life and like just their very tumultuous, romantic capital R era um, lives. So. Yeah. Again, that is Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Her Daughter Mary Shelley by Charlotte Gordon. Oh, and it's a National Book Critics Circle Award winner, which so it's good. You just know. It is good. Yeah. So have you read Frankenstein before or is this your first time or you kind of haven't done the read along? I'm curious. I've started it like three times and this is my first time actually reading it. Oh, that's funny. I've read it like four times. Um <laughs> I have, I have many thoughts about Frankenstein. Uh, it's such a weird, awesome, terrible book. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, well, after I finished it, we can do like a quick little recap of, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts about Frankenstein. Uh, it's such a weird book. And like this 18-year-old girl just wrote this like incredibly odd novel that like, we still find interesting things to talk about. And like the way the narrative is structured with like narratives within narratives, you get this like building thing of unreliable narrators. And then Victor Frankenstein is just like the worst human possible in like every situation. He like does the thing where you're like, gosh, a jerk would do something and a nice guy would do something else. And he always does the thing that a bad person would do. Um, But then like, never thinks that he's the bad guy and is constantly like, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, why is, why is my life so hard? You're like, well, cause you're terrible. Anyway, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, I bought the new annotated one. Um, and I haven't jumped into it cause, but it's so, I'm so, I really do want to, cause that book, I just, so many feelings, so many feelings. Yeah, that was great. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated all of those thoughts. Yeah, we went to a secret side episode just talking about how bananas Frankenstein is. Anyway, uh, the fiction book that I uh, wanted to bring up is Jane Steele by Lindsay Fay, um, which I just bought and read recently, and I thought it was awesome. It is a 
reimagining of sorts of Jane Eyre, except Jane Eyre, her name is Jane Steele, and she is a serial killer. She murders dudes who do bad things to women and children. Um, and so it's uh, very like inspired by the plot of Jane Eyre and Jane Steele. Her character is very much like Jane Eyre of the Charlotte Bronte fame, um, but also a murderer. And so it's just this very delightful Um much more like romantic book than I was expecting it to be um, for a book about a lady serial killer. Um, and I just, I thought it was just super great. So um, it made me, it reminded me of a book that I read a while ago and never reviewed and then reminded me of a book that I hadn't read yet that I got excited about and got at the library. So, um, okay, got to get my thoughts back in order. I got so distracted thinking about Frankenstein that I can't even <laughs> think about Jane Eyre anymore. <laughs> Okay, so the book that I read previously and didn't review but uh, enjoyed pretty well, I think, uh, is called Charlotte Bronte, A Fiery Heart by Claire Harmon. And this is a pretty recent biography of Charlotte Bronte. It came out in 2016, so I think it's actually the most recent biography of her. Um, and it, the reason that's important is because it's a biography that builds on previous biographies that have been written about her. Um, and so the, the argument of the book is essentially that um, Charlotte Bronte isn't a tragic figure, even though, like... We kind of think of her that way because of her life on the moors and her sisters and all of those things. Um, I feel like you're going to, you know, much more about this than I do. And I'm going to sound like such an idiot. You're going to pop in and be like, well, actually, Kim, here's what the real story is. But um, no, you're doing a great job. Great okay. Job. <laughs> so uh, this biography kind of transforms her into a modern heroine. And it relies on a trove of new letters that previous biographers didn't have to kind of connect her to her fiction and kind of tell more of her story. Um, and then it does a lot of comparing and contrasting with uh, Elizabeth Gaskell's biography of Charlotte Bronte, which I think came out about very close to the time that they were contemporaries. And so it, it was, came out a long time ago. Um and it also, this present biography does a lot of connecting between um, Charlotte Bronte's life and then some of the scenes and her novels and tries to kind of make some arguments about what we can infer about Charlotte Bronte from her fiction, um, which I don't always agree with, but uh, it was interesting in this case. Um, and yeah, so uh, because Charlotte Bronte is the author of Jane Eyre and Jane Steele is inspired by Jane Eyre, that was kind of why I thought those two things were together. And I think... Um, learning to think more about Charlotte Bronte as kind of a heroine of her own story connects with some of the things that happen in Jane Steele and some of the um, inspiration that that book has. Um, yeah. But you know a lot about the Brontes and all of that. So is there more that you can add that I don't know about? Um, she and Elizabeth Gaskell were like pretty much uh, BFFs, if memory serves. A lot of this is information mm -hmm. that I gathered when I was 16 and very obsessed with Jane Eyre. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, she, they, I remember reading that bio. And obviously, because, again, it's like Victorian times, she has to like, there's just some stuff that she's like, I'm not talking about it. Um, I actually saw an amazing play called Bronte that got a lot more into like the psyche of all, like it's all the sisters in the house, like hanging out and talking, which is mm -hmm. my dream of a play. And um, <laughs> they, uh, but one of the things they talk about that I loved was, because you were talking about like her, um, what like her inner life or what made her I don't know anyway um yeah so, oh yeah how, what you can infer about her from her novels so the the author of that play yeah. Bronte kind of does that where they talk about how all of the 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 men like the main character men in the Bronte novels all three of the sisters who were writers um were Branwell the brother um who, oh interesting yeah who died you know he was like an alcoholic and um was just generally uh 
not doing well um as and but but you know he was the only guy in the family aside from patrick the father and so he had all this pressure on him and all of these expectations and all of these opportunities and the sisters loved him but you know like Anne's book not to go super off topic i'm sorry but Anne's book the, t- the tenant of wildfell hall is all about um because Anne is the nicest it's all about you know like trying to it's about t- temperance and how like how horrible alcoholism is and you're just like oh gosh you experienced this because of Branwell and this is just so um but except it's interesting because Emily and Charlotte romanticize that type of figure and Anne is like this this Mm -hmm. is awful and so um yeah so I don't know I don't know how I would feel about this is what I think about too often is I don't know how I'd feel about Charlotte Bronte as a person if I met her um Mm -hmm. especially like right they grew up next to a graveyard like they overlooked one and it's just (laughs) it there's I don't know there's a lot going on there um there is but I do want to hear about your I do want to hear about your other pick and then I want to circle back around with Jane Steele real quick Yes. So the second book is one that I remember being excited about when it first came out, and then I never got around to reading it. And it's called Lady Killers by Tori Tuffler. And it is a collection of essays about lady serial killers. Um, and I checked it out from the library, and I have been reading it kind of not at night because it's extremely creepy. Um, but it is just, it is so good. Um, and like weirdly satisfying to read because she's not just glorifying lady serial killer she's actually trying to get underneath the sort of like easy explanations for why women might become murderers and really like understand what what was happening with these particular women and she's not afraid to make the argument that like maybe these people were just evil and like it's not because they're trying to become younger and it's not because they hate men or it's not because they've been you know slighted in love or because they're jealous like they could just be evil Um, And I appreciate that she's kind of writing about them and being cool about it, but also interrogating what is happening. So um, the first chapter is like parts as I go a warning, I suppose, is particularly horrific. Um, It's about this Hungarian countess. And I'm not even going to try to say her name because it's very complicated. Um, This Hungarian countess. I think it's Ersa Bet. Yeah, that's her. (laughs) Sorry, go on. Um, Who, along with four collaborators, tortured and murdered hundreds of young peasant women between 1585 and 1609. Um, And her descriptions of this woman and what she did and what kind of the popular idea of her is now, like, it's just, it's just so creepy. Um, So creepy. But I hope that they're not all that creepy, but that one kind of unsettled me when I read it. But, um, yeah, so Lady Killers by Tori Tuffler. It's just really, like, weirdly satisfying to read this collection of essays about lady serial killers, which uh, I don't know if I should be admitting that in a podcast, but, uh, yeah, it's really great. So, um, yeah, Jane Steele is about Jane Eyre mentioned as a serial killer, and so a collection of essays about lady serial killers seems like a, a match that is pretty pretty spot on, I would say. Yeah, that seems, like, pretty on point. Um I and actually I'm I'm unsure how to pronounce but I mean the last name's Bathory, but I know it's spelled it's like Ersabet or something, and then yeah. people always anglicize it to Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um I had a question though. Do, does the author um does she kind of say because you said it talks about like that story in popular culture, does she say how it got like really built upon? Because I, I remember reading that recently. Yeah, a little. Yeah, it does. So she kind of goes through what we know. She goes through the history of that, what the kind of contemporary trials and writings were about. And then she talks about um, kind of how we look at that in popular culture today and some of the reasons that um, because 
Okay, so one of the things that people seem to think about this woman is that one of the reasons, the argument is that one of the reasons she killed young girls is because she was afraid of getting older and she killed them because she was told by a witch that if she bathed in the blood of virgins, it would keep her young and pure. Uh, and so she like outlines that as a rumor and says, you know, this is kind of when we first see that rumor come into play. And this is probably, and the argument is, you know, why is this rumor coming up? And it's because we have these ideas about women and that they're afraid of aging and that there's jealousy and stuff involved. And so she points out when the rumor started, points out why it's probably not true, and then explains what that popular rumor about a lady or serial killer says about the way we think about women as murderers more generally. Did that answer your question? Yeah. So you're saying that this whole blood of virgins bathing thing does not work. That is the argument in the book yes that that if you bathe in the blood of virgins it probably will not make you look younger. okay okay that's good to know um in terms of, <laughs> in terms of jane Steele, just to go uh just to go back to that real quick um i uh, i yes. remember reading jane Steele. i just wanted to make um a quick uh fun lgbt note um i did really enjoy the book uh, the one thing that bummed me out about it is that, and I'm not going to do a spoiler, but there is a uh, a part where a um, I don't know if she, whatever. Let's just say so. There's there's a character who's a lesbian, and she is basically used in the book to further the main straight character's knowledge of herself, um, and that it happens like near the end, and that just like. Yes. It bummed me out, you know, because I was like, oh, I was really mm-hmm. liking you. Why did you have to do that? But um, I still would recommend the book. I still think it was really fun. Um, I definitely still remember parts of it very, very fondly. Um, but I just like just as a general knowledge thing out there. Um, yeah. yeah, that is. Yeah, that does happen. Although it's interesting because early in the book, I remember reading it and thinking that maybe they were going to flip it even more and make Jane Steele be bisexual or something like that um, based on the relationship she has with this character when they're young, um, you know, teenagers and young women. Um, and then they didn't. And I was kind of like, oh, that that didn't go the way I thought maybe it was going to go. And yeah, then the character comes back and um, it's completely different than what I expected. Yeah. So that is that is a little bit of a bummer. I agree. But anyway, um, but overall... Still, yeah, still a good wreck. <laughs> yes, still a good book. Uh, and so with that, we're going to move quick into our last segment, which we just both talk a little bit about the books we are reading at this moment. Uh, yeah. Want to go first? Sure. Um, I, or do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you said, do you want to go to first? Um, as your first question. So, yes, I will. I will start. Um, Bombay Anna is what I'm reading right now. And it's such a change from this other book from last week. Uh, Bombay Anna by Susan Morgan is, uh, the subtitle is The Real Story and Remarkable Adventures of the King and I Governess. Um, I have been talking about, yeah, right? It's Anna Leon Owens. I've been talking about her now for like the last week uh, on Twitter to uh, no one really <laughs> wants to talk about it. But I have been loudly proclaiming my own opinions. Um it's like i just that's what twitter is for exactly shouting into the void um i i just love the king and i so much and this book is like it's really um short but really dense in terms of the amount of information she gives it's pretty clear that like susan morgan is like really into annalee and owens as a person um she does try to give you some kind of like a three-dimensional perspective on her but most of it is like pretty glowing um in but she she looks at 
there's been a lot of so you know it's kind of that thing right where the pendulum swings in terms of historical historical perspectives. So you had Margaret Landon's books mm-hmm. based on Anna Leon Owens's books, um, and Margaret Landon's book is what The King and I is based on. It's a lot of based on based on type of stuff, and Margaret Landon just makes it be like I don't know that she was this. It's kind of much more like the the white col- like colonizer teaching the you know colonized people things, and. The actual mm-hmm. story is that um, Anna Leon Owens, just to give you like a little sample of this, she wasn't she said that she was this governess who was born in England and then you know, her husband died like at the after like a tiger hunt. And then she came to, you know, like Siam, now Thailand. And the actual story is that she was born in Bombay and her, her dad was like a lower. Huh. Yeah, her dad was like a lower ranking member of the East India Company in the uh, early to mid 1800s. And um, she didn't even go to England until she was like 40. So she, um, huh. yeah, she learned and taught Sanskrit and like five languages. She was incredibly brilliant. She, um, one of the reasons King Mankut, uh, who was the king and the king and I, hired her was that um, he had had all of these Christian missionaries come and try to teach his children, but they were trying to convert them um, to Christianity. And he was like, I don't want that. And because (laughs) Anna had grown up in this very international community, um, she was fine with that. You know, she didn't care. Um, It talks about uh, what he did, you know, as ruler and kind of the positives and negatives of of, um, his reign. Thailand was the only country in Southeast Asia that never was colonized. Um, And so it talks about kind of how he achieved that and then like what her role probably actually was, you know, because there's been a lot of like back and forth about that. Um, I think she does a really great job in a short number of pages. Um, So I'm really liking it. I'm almost done. Again, it's Bombay Anna by Susan Morgan. Interesting. That one sounds really good. Um, So I'm actually right now at this very moment reading Lady Killers. But the book that I am going to be reading next because it is coming up for my book club in June uh, is called Locking Up Your Own Crime and Punishment in Black America by James Foreman Jr. Uh, And this is a book, another book about mass incarceration in the United States and its disproportionate impact uh, on people of color. But this one is different in that it goes back to the 1970s and looks at the start of the war on crime and explores many different African-American voices at that time. So how judges and mayors and police chiefs who were African-American took office in the 1960s and 70s amidst this resurgence of crime, like this actual huge resurgence of crime. And so how some of their choices at that time are now kind of having reverberations into the culture of mass incarceration now. Um, and how their embrace of tough crime measures at that time has continued on. So um, I watched an interview with this author on uh, The Daily Show, Trevor Noah, and um, it just sounds really interesting the way he describes the book and how he approached it as trying to give, um, you know how the thing with own with uh, own voices is when you just have one person who's the voice of a group, their voice kind of, they're expected to carry all stories and expected to kind of be all things to all people. And yep. so this one is interesting because it's bringing a lot of different voices from a lot of different perspectives into the story of mass incarceration and its history and how we have gotten to where we are, um, which is just something we haven't really talked about before. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It was the 2017 Pulitzer Prize winner in general nonfiction, um, which I always think that that's a really big deal. Like the Pulitzer Prizes really does recognize good reporting. Um, and so I'm excited about kind of that rigorous um, 
work and exploration of this topic. So I'm gonna have to start that one soon because my book club is meeting in the first week of June to talk about it. So uh, more on that later, probably. And that's Locking Up Your Own by James Foreman Jr. Dang, that sounds awesome. I just, I love books mm-hmm. that are like, why are we doing this now today? Like, yeah. here's this, or that, that's that's awesome. Um, Okay, on our uh, next to final note, we at Book Riot have a new giveaway starting uh, Monday, May 21st, which means it has already started, uh, for a $500, 500 gift card to the bookstore, the bookstore of your choice. You get to use this $500 gift card any bookstore you want. So hopefully your local indie, but you know what? I'm not going to tell you what to do. Do it, like pick your own thing. <laughs> so in order to enter, get more information, go to bookriot.com slash bookstore 500. Uh, and all the info is there. So again, $500 bookstore of your choice, bookriot.com slash bookstore 500. Yep. Excellent. It's a good giveaway. All right. So Oh, it's you. We're, yeah, it is. And that's the end. Oh, gosh. Okay. In conclusion. That is the end. In conclusion, you can find <laughs> us. I was still just thinking about what I would get with $500 of books. Um, right. Oh, yeah. just give me a sec. Okay. Um, so you can find us on social media, specifically Twitter. Uh, I am at It's Alice Time. And Kim is at Kim the Dork. Yes. And so if you have a chance, if you've enjoyed the podcast uh, and you could take a minute to rate and review it on iTunes or Apple podcast, uh, that would be great. Uh, Reviews and ratings help people find the podcast more easily. Uh, And then you can also subscribe there so you can get new episodes the very moment that they come out. Uh, And so with that, I'm Kim Ugra. And I'm Alice Burton. And thank you for listening to the For Real Podcast. Podcast.